Now, last week and the week before last, we talked about the Nishama. Two weeks ago, we talked about the contrast between the godly soul and the animal soul. Last week, we discussed the form of the divine soul. And we had what is, for this round of classes, the deepest class. And I discussed with you the idea that the soul has an essence, and has a form, and has an expression. We spent a considerable amount of time talking about the essence of the soul. And we made the point that the essence of the soul is called a pimi. That means to say its tendency is to go into things very deeply. And uh, from that came the idea of free will and wanting to calm down and all kinds of other exciting things. The essence of the soul is one with God. The form of the soul is the mind and the heart, the intellect and the emotions. And then the periphery of the soul are the garments of expression, thought, speech, and deed. We also touched on the relatedness between one soul and all other souls. And the complex nature of the the conglomerate, the uh, unification of all souls. And in Mitzvah Shem, in the next couple of weeks, we'll try to repeat the performance in regard to the animal soul. Tonight, we have to discuss not the godly soul per se, but the godly soul vis-a-vis, in conjunction with, juxtaposed against, Yiddishkeit, Tayyid and Mitzvah. So we'll say, in the past we talked about the godly soul. Today we're going to be talking about the relationship between the godly soul and Judaism, mitzvahs and Torah. That's the topic for tonight. And we begin the class in the simplest and most direct of ways. If it's true, and it is true, that the divine soul is divine, that the godly soul is godly, so why does a godly soul need anything other than itself? to be viable, and to be purposeful, and to be uh, good. If the godly soul is godly, all the godly soul has to do is soul. Be itself. God created a soul. The soul has an intimate uh, or a natural attachedness to Hashem. Why is it necessary for the godly soul to be involved in Tehidah and Mitzvah? This is the question. Now, the Tanya does not act, ask that question explicitly, but the Tanya does infer that question Implicitly, it's understood from the Tanya that there is an issue. The issue is, if the Jewish soul is godly, why the need for Judaism? That means Mitzvah and Tayyid. And the answer, of course, is because the godly soul is godly in its essence. The godly soul is godly in its form. I'm sorry, in its source. The godly soul is not godly in its reality. If you were here last week, the godly soul may have been in its essence godly, but we discussed at length the whole idea of the godly soul is not that it should be in a manifest way, in a real way, godly. But rather that the godly soul should be in a real way, in a manifest way, separate from God. The whole idea of the soul is that the way Hashem creates it is that it comes down as a separate entity from the Eivishter and does not remain intimately attached to Hashem. And the simplest way to explain this is by using the example of a child. What do we know about the godly soul? We know about the godly soul that it's designed to have a relationship with Hashem, like the relationship between a parent and children. What is the nature of the relationship between parents and children? So this is what we talked about last week. The nature of the relationship between parents and children is that parents give their very, very essence to their child. 
What is the very, very essence of the parent? Remember? The independence of the parent from their parent. The greatest gift parents give children is that the children are not just the arms and legs of the parents, but they're self-contained, independent beings. So giving somebody your very essence is giving them their freedom from you. There's a huge irony in that, but in some weird kind of way, it's very, very logical. And the same is true of the Abishter. The notion that Hashem has children, and they are His people, means in effect that He's designed us in such a way that the nature of our existence is that we exist in a way that's separate from Him. And this separateness we got from Him. There's a more mystical way to say this, and there's a more practical way to say this. The mystical way to say it is uh, the gift of free will. Without free will we're nothing, and nothing is anything. So mystically, God gives us His essence, and this essence gives us what's called in, Hasid, in, Ram, in Rambam and in Hasidus, Rashus, freedom, independence, possibility to do as we wish, and this freedom is the basis um, for free choice, and this freedom, which is the basis of free choice, is the basis of the meaning in our lives and the justification for creation as a whole. That's a mystical way to say it. And the practical way to say it is that we've forgotten our source. Our source is hidden from us. God is our Father and we, is our, we are His children. But the way the soul is created as it comes out into the physical world, that obvious link between parent and child is concealed. We don't come into this world knowing that we're God's children. We come into this world knowing that the center of the universe is ourselves and evidently not everybody sees it that way. We were supposed to laugh there, just for the record. Okay, fine, it's okay. I'll, I'll put the laughter in on my uh, alternative track. Okay, so I just said two things. We are Hashem's children. And being Hashem's children means Hashem has planted His essence in us and that's the basis for free will, that's the first point. And the second point is, the neshama is created, this is the terminology in Hasidus, godliness as it has been become a creation that means the way we exist in fact we may have come from God but we certainly don't feel like God we feel like ourselves and ourselves is not particularly holy for this reason though the soul is godly the soul needs Judaism Yiddishkeit the Jew needs Judaism because Judaism establishes a conscious a revealed link between the Jew and his creator. Okay, so to summarize what I just said, the first point that you must understand is that although the soul is godliness, but the way the soul is created is created with free will. The way the soul is created is created in such a way that it's separated from its source. It doesn't know that it's godly. And therefore, a Yid needs Yiddishkeit, a Jew needs Judaism, that means mitzvahs and Torah, that act as the link between themselves and the Kaddish Baruch. Or to say it slightly differently, they act as the revealed link between themselves and the Kaddish Baruch. Okay, because Jews are godly and they don't know it. Jew Jewish souls are godly, but they're designed in such a way that their godliness is lost in their manifestations of the physical realm. Judaism, Tait and Mitzvah, even as we perform them in the physical world, are godliness in a revealed way. And the basis for this is a Zoyhad that the Altar Rebbe quotes. There are two quotable quotes in tonight's class. This is the first. 
two very, very important phrases that underscore the, the argument, or the point. A yid does tate and mitzvahs. Why? Because he wants to be connected to God. The fact that he's inherently connected to God is not sufficient because that inherent connectedness is concealed. It's covered over. And when a Jew does tate and mitzvahs, he's connected to God in a revealed way because tate and mitzvahs are godly in a revealed way, not in a concealed way. In Judaism, God is completely revealed. And the basis for this is, is a statement in the Zohar. And the Zohar says, and I quote, Torah and God are one. And at least as far as our discussion is concerned, this statement, Torah and God are one, also means that mitzvahs and God are one. So when a Jew studies Torah, or a Jew performs a mitzvah, in Torah and mitzvah Hashem is revealed. In the Jew as he exists in the physical world, Hashem is hidden. And when a Jew studies Torah and does mitzvahs, he's revealing God to himself. Yiddishkeit is godliness in a revealed way. Yid is godliness in a concealed way, in a covered over way. And that's why a Jew needs Judaism. Torah and mitzvahs create a revealed connection between us and the Yavish. Like Isaiah says, that there are three things that are tied together with knots. The Jew is tied to Judaism, and Judaism is tied to the Creator. Right? We study the Torah and we do the mitzvahs that connects us to the godliness of Torah and mitzvahs. And Yiddishkeit, Torah and mitzvahs are attached to Hashem. So though the Jewish soul may be at its core, and its root, and its essence, godliness, in reality the Jewish soul is separate from its source, and we reconnect to Hashem by learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. So the first critical phrase of tonight's class is the phrase The first phrase again is The second phrase is, is a phrase that's unique to the time there. The phrase that I just quoted is Isaiah. The phrase I'm about to quote is a modification of a statement in the Zayah. The Zayah says, which means simply saying, it's impossible to hold God. It's impossible to understand God intellectually. It's impossible to access and experience God himself. Nobody can hold God. That's a statement made in the Zayah many times, including in the Zayah we see on Friday afternoon. So the Alter Rebbe, the author of the time, you add to this Zayat a statement that I don't know if anybody before the Alter ever stated it so directly. And I'm quoting, Ki'im, unless, when one is grasping God and enclosing themselves in God, in studying Teda and doing mitzvahs. Because when one studies Teda and one does mitzvahs, Azai at that time, a Jew is holding and enclosed in Hashem Mamish. Why? The first statement says, These two phrases are the basis for the entirety of tonight's class. A Jew needs Judaism. Because in Yiddishkeit Hashem is revealed. In the Yid Hashem is hidden. And because in Yiddishkeit Hashem is revealed, when a Jew studies, Tayyid does a mitzvah, 
he's revealing Hashem, he's bringing God to himself. And again, the first statement is, in Yiddishkeit, Hashem is revealed. And the second statement is, Hashem's essence that eludes everybody. Nobody can have, you have in a mitzvah or in a word of title. When you put up a mezuzah, that's not Hashem's light, that's not Hashem's glory, it's not Hashem's honor. That's Hashem himself encapsulated in a mezuzah. Hard to comprehend, argue impossibly to comprehend. But guess what? We don't have to understand it. We have to just celebrate it. A Jew puts on film. A Jew lights a candle. A Jew separates challah. He's not, or she's not, relating to the light of Hashem, or to the glory of Hashem, or to the any of Hashem. That is God. Mamish. Not godliness, not the light of God, but God Himself. And therefore, when a Yid studies paid on those mitzvahs, it connects a connection between Himself and Hashem. Without Judaism, without Yiddishkeit, we're still Hashem's children. But our identity as the children of Hashem is completely hidden. Hidden so much that we may not even know it ourselves. We may not know ourselves that we're uh, connected to Hashem. With Yiddishkeit, it, it connects a Jew to Hashem in a conscious way, and on a conscious level. And um, it allows a Jew to discover the meaning of the word Jew. Through Yiddishkeit, you're close to Hashem consciously, you feel Hashem, you know Hashem in your, in your awareness, and you become aware of what it means to be a Jew as well. And therefore, I do need Judaism. Yidin need Torah and mitzvahs. Torah and mitzvahs create an over-connection between ourselves and God, notwithstanding that as His children, that connection already exists, but by itself, that connection is hidden. Okay? Now, it, this is 4 and 5 the, the, tonight's class is chapters 4 and 5 beginning at the very bottom page 13 until page 19 now there's a very interesting mention in the Tanya here and that is that in Jewish theology going all the way back to the Talmud to the Gemariyat there's a lot of different levels of being a Jew studying Tanya and doing mitzvahs some people are Jewish out of fear some people are Jewish out of curiosity, out of interest, out of desire for reward. There's all kinds of levels of being a Jew. What is considered the highest level of being a Jew is Lishma. Like Taita Lishma. In the Tanya here, I, I, I reckon it doesn't only mean Taita, it means Yiddishkeit. Lishma means just for the sake of Judaism. For its own sake. Rather than saying, I'm studying Taita and because I want to get some kind of a reward, some kind of compensation, material or spiritual, there's a notion of being a Jewish moth just for the sake of Judaism alone. So in our chapters, tonight's class, the Al-Fadabah has an interesting definition to the word Lishma. What's interesting about it is that it's not the typical definition that's found in Hasidus. This is more a classic definition, but the Al-Fadabah at the end of chapter 5 uses this definition. Lishma means to study Taylor and do mitzvahs just for the sake of studying Taylor and doing mitzvahs. What does that mean? Studying Taylor and doing mitzvahs to become attached to Hashem. Ulishma, I know what does it mean to learn Taylor and do mitzvahs just for the sake of Taylor and mitzvahs. That when I am practicing Judaism, when I'm studying Taylor and doing mitzvahs, I am creating a connection between myself and God. You'll see later in this class that there's a higher level still. But this is the discussion in, in these two blocks. 
So what I said, what I tell you so far, I told you that first of all a Jew is godly. And as such a connection to Hashem is inherent, automatically. But that the nature of the Jewishness of a Jew is like a child which means we are designed to be separate and therefore our godliness is concealed. And therefore we need Judaism that means Torah and Mitzvah to create a conscious connection between ourselves and Hashem. Why? Because Torah and Mitzvah are not like a Jew. Godliness is revealed. As is underscored in those two phrases that I quoted. Number one, and number two, when you study Torah and do a Mitzvah, you're holding God. You're holding God um, himself. And this is called Lishma. Being a Jew, just practicing Judaism just for the sake of Judaism, is that it attaches you to God. Now the question that you're all thinking, which you're afraid to ask because you think I'm going to embarrass you, and you're probably right, is it doesn't feel that way. I study tight, I feel soft. I do a mitzvah. I, I, I for sure don't feel soft. And this question, the answer to this question is quite complicated. In other words, there's a lot of different things I can say in responding to this question. But I'll, I'll tell you the most important. The most important point is that even if we don't feel it, the truth is Hashem is revealed in Torah and Hashem is revealed in Mitzvah. Even if I study Torah and I don't feel godliness, if I do a Mitzvah and I don't feel special, I don't feel consciously refined or elevated, the fact is that in Torah and Mitzvah Hashem is revealed. And the result is such things as mitzvah gerenis mitzvah. Studying one mitzvah encourages you to do a second mitzvah. When one studies Torah, even if they have absolutely no concept of the godliness within the Torah, the godliness within Torah starts to irritate the soul. It warms the person up and brings the person back. So even if you may personally feel that you don't experience an overt, a revealed sense of God in Judaism, you should know it's there. Mm-hmm. In Torah, when you study any word of Torah from any mitzvah, you've touched God, and that God has touched you back, and as a result, you're you're consciously improved. Consciously improved. I don't mean that you're aware of the improvement, but that the improvement will express itself in your in your conscious life, today or tomorrow or next week. Yiddishkeit brings a Jew closer to Hashem because Yiddishkeit, godliness is revealed, but not necessarily in the Jew. There's an interesting little episode, cute little story, that I love to tell. So I'll tell it even though it's very far from relevant at the moment. When the previous Rebbe's father was still alive, the Rebbe Ayat's father was still alive, the Rebbe Rashad, so the previous Rebbe tried to give the pretense that he's just a regular guy, an ordinary person. As soon as his father passed away, within days he became a Rebbe. <laughs> and he didn't become a Rebbe within days, miraculously, you know what I'm saying? But his whole... Shtel was that he's an ordinary man. He comes up a soichet, a businessman. And um, it went so far that people used to say you shouldn't ask the Friedrich Rebbe questions because you're going to embarrass him. I mean, that was the degree of Tzniyas from Friedrich Rebbe. So a couple of guys decided to test him. In 1918, two years before he passed away, as a result of the upheaval in Russia, an archive was found in this archive they found a treasure of manuscripts, of letters from the Balshemtiv and the Balshemtiv disciples, the Mizitcher Magid and the Mizitcher Magid disciples, the Alkareb and his friends, which a Lubavitcher Chassid purchased. It was, a, it, was a, um, it was a cache of letters, over 700 letters. It was incredibly uh, valuable. 
these letters were brought to the fifth Lamavich Rebbe to examine them and to determine whether they were authentic or not. He said immediately they're not original, they're copies. But by reading the letters, he said that these copies are authentic. They're based on, they're based on true letters. They're, they're copies of original letters that are true. There's a lot of controversy surrounding these letters. It's called the Geniza Chesonus, the Chesonus find, as it's called. In our community, in our culture, they're considered credible. This is what our Rabbeims said, based on their special powers, and also based on their knowledge of the Hasidic history, and Kabbalah, the stuff in there that is purely Kabbalistic, that only a Rebbe could have known, and so forth. But then the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rashab, took this stack of letters, and he divided them into two piles. And he said, these are authentic, and these are inauthentic. In other words, these letters are true to the original. Some of the letters, since they were copies, the Rebbe felt had lost their authenticity. So, the Rebbe Rashab divided the letters into two piles and said, these are good, and these should be discarded. So once he did that, they, the person who had purchased letters took this pile, mixed them back together, and brought them to the Rebbe's son, who was destined to be his successor, the Friedrich Rebbe and said to him, what do you think of this pile of letters? And they didn't tell him that they showed him to his father, that his father had already divided them up into two vials. So what do you think? So he took the stack of letters and divided them into two. So these are authentic, these are inauthentic. And he made exactly the same division as his father. Which was a clear case of Ruch HaKadosh. There's no way he could have known. So after he finished, they say, listen, your, 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 your secret is out. You should know that we brought these letters to your father. <laughs> and he divided them. And you divided them exactly the same way. And please don't tell me it's because you're an intellectual. <laughs> so the Friedrich Rebbe had to get his way out of this one. He says, no, I'm not special at all. So then how did you know which were good and which were not good? So it's a very simple thing. A holy artifact has a godly energy. And a Jew has a godly energy. Get lechkeit to get lechkeit tzitzach. Godliness has a natural magnetism with godliness. So I picked up a piece of paper. If I felt it being drawn to me, I knew it was godly. If I felt that it had no attraction to me, I knew it wasn't. Now most people who are Jewish and godly don't have that experience. You understand? This is his excuse. Get lachaitzu, get lachaitzu. There's a natural magnetism in a Jew and Judaism. But that's a Rebbe. Or a Rebbe to be. For most of us, consciously we do not experience the godliness of Judaism. But it is true nevertheless when a Jew studies Tatum does a mitzvah, he's revealing Hashem to himself. Okay? This is point one. Now we move on to point two. And point two is, once we've established the basic message of tonight's class, that a Yid needs Yiddishkeit, because through Yiddishkeit we become attached to Hashem, I want to now discuss with the difference between studying Tatum and doing mitzvahs. So the Al-Tarebbe spends a considerable portion of the discussion saying, although any aspect of Judaism, be it Torah, be it Mitzvah, makes no distinction. Anything you do that's an act of Judaism, whether it's studying or thinking or speaking or acting, is creating a revealed connection between you and Hashem. There's a difference in Torah and Mitzvah. And the difference basically is that Mitzvahs are called garments. And Torah is called food. Or more precisely, mitzvahs are called garments, and Torah is both a garment as well as a food. What's the difference between a garment and a food? What's the difference between garments and food? Isn't it clothing and food? 
The difference is a garment surrounds you. A food you surround, you internalize it. But there's more to it than that. It's not just that food you take inside and garments you put yourself inside of. The difference is when you surround yourself with a garment, you and the garment always remain separate. It protects you, it surrounds you, but it doesn't become one with you. When you eat food, if you're only healthy, you break the food down. The food changes and becomes you, you change and you become the food. When a Jew does a mitzvah, he's wrapping himself in garments, holy garments. When a Jew studies Torah, in addition to Torah being a mitzvah like any other, which involves the element of being a lavush, a garment, when a Jew studies Torah, he's internalizing it. In other words, when you learn Torah, and you understand the Torah, because you intellectually understood the Torah, you have, in effect, digested godliness. You've digested, you've processed godliness, you took on an idea which is part of God's wisdom, brought it into your own mind, understood it so well that you can say it in your own words, understood it so well that you can teach it to somebody else, understood it so well that you can add to it, you can enhance it, you can make it bigger. It feeds you, you spine this minute, and you can make it better. La Allah. When the Jew does a mitzvah, you're not being changed by the mitzvah, and the mitzvah is not being changed by you because you don't internalize it. It surrounds you like a garment. Now, every mitzvah has a Torah aspect. What's the Torah aspect of a mitzvah? What's the food aspect of a mitzvah? What's the mm-hmm. answer? The kavanah, the meaning behind the mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, a mitzvah has an intent. I put on film, it means to bind my heart and my mind to God, to go out of Egypt and so forth. When I put up a mezuzah, it has a certain intent. Each mitzvah has an interpretation, a meaning. And if a person knows the meaning behind the mitzvah and performs the mitzvah with the proper kavana, does the mitzvah with the proper understanding, the understanding part of the mitzvah is food. Why? You did a ritual, you did a godly act, and we believe that this godly act is really, really holy and really, really godly in itself. But the act itself is only a garment. It doesn't change you, you don't change the garment. But the meaning behind the mitzvah is food. It's food for your mind, it's food for your heart, and food for your soul. So there's two parts to Judaism. There's the Torah and the Kavanah mitzvah, the meaning behind the mitzvah, which is called Mazoin food, versus mitzvahs themselves, which is called lavush, a garment. <coughs> so when you study Torah, you're wrapping yourself in garments. And when you're doing mitzvah, you're eating godliness. You're ingesting, you're internalizing alakus. You're becoming one with Hashem Linus. Okay? Now let's talk about this some more. Let's talk about this some more. Dimension one. There's going to be a dimension two. Keep this in mind. Dimension one. All souls come from Ganeda. All souls live in paradise. That's what happens. All souls live in paradise. What are they doing in paradise? They're studying Taita. That's it. There's no mitzvahs in paradise. They're just they're studying Taita on some mystical level, some spiritual level. And they're understanding it. They're pretty bright. They're smarter than we are. 
They're learning on a higher level. They're understanding Torah quite well. That's all they're doing. Studying Torah. Now, Hashem plucks a soul out of Gan Eden, puts it into the cooker, puts it into the, the supernal uh, process that develops souls, and while a body is being developed, the soul is being developed, and whatever the processes and the particulars are, which has Pekidah, which has Yitzidim, which has Leida, the Nishama and the Guf come together. The soul comes into the body. It lives a physical life, whatever it is, whatever, what are you holding by now? 90, 100, 110, 120, 180 years, it lives forever. The soul and the body come together and study Tehidah Numenses. Then the soul goes back to paradise. What happens? Don't ask questions. Okay. The soul goes back, what happens now? Goes back pretty much to the same place it came from. That's an interesting surprise, but that's the way it works. But it brings back with itself the Yiddishkeit that it did during its physical lifetime. By the virtue of the fact that when the Neshama goes back to Ganeidin, it brings back the Yiddishkeit it did during its physical lifetime. An interesting change takes place. What are souls doing in Ganeidin? They're studying Taira. There's no mitzvah saying Ganeidin. That's all. Before the Neshama came into this world, it studied Taira. Once the Neshama has been in this world, what is it doing? Studying Taira. What's the difference? The difference is that as a result of the fact that the study, the Neshama, studies Taira, it experiences what's called Ta'anug, the pleasure of Taira, which is the godliness, the Ein Sof. The difference between a Neshama that hasn't been here and a Neshama that's been and returned is not the idea of Hasraga, of understanding. It's as a result of this understanding, it's experiencing the Ein Sof, the godliness of Taira, which is unavailable to a soul before it visits this life. Okay? But it's a little more complicated than that. It's a little more complicated for the following reason. In Ganeidin, in the spiritual world, there's a center. The center of the spiritual world is the base Hamikdash, is the temple of that world. Or to be more precise, it's the, it's the, it's, it's the Ganeidin, it's the source of pleasure of that world. Nobody's allowed entry. Nobody goes into the base of Mikdash. If you want to visit a temple, you have to be in the physical world. In the spiritual world, nobody enters the Ganei. Okay? When you came into this life and lived as a Jew, you deposit your Judaism in the Ganei of the world from which your Neshama came. You deposit your Yiddishkeit into that center, the godly place, the, the temple, the Beis HaMikdash, the Kedosh HaKadoshim, of the world in which your Neshama presides. But your Neshama doesn't go there. Your Neshama goes back where it came from. You follow what I'm saying? There's a center to a world. In the center of that world, you deposit your Mitzvah. You're not allowed into that center. Yeah. Even when you go back. Right. You came from the world, you go back to the world. The center, nobody enters. Nobody lives there. No one's allowed to go in there. But there are windows. And the windows in the spiritual Ganeidin like the windows in the physical Beis HaMikdash. The physical base of the windows were made inside out. Narrow on the inside and wide on the outside. When you have windows in thick walls, you make them on an angle so the light should maximize its radiation into the space of the room, right? In the base of the the windows were made backwards. They're narrow on the inside, wide on the outside to indicate that the light is not shining in, the light is shining out. If you go back to Ganeidin, you do exactly the same thing you did before you came here. You study Torah. But you've made a deposit. You've 
deposited the godliness of your Judaism that you did during your physical lifetime into that base of Mikdash. And the light shines through the windows to you. And you receive that light. How do you receive that light? Because you have garments. The garments are the mitzvahs you did. If an Ashama comes into this world and only studies Torah and does no mitzvahs, it'll have an enormous amount of light and will experience zero of it. The Neshama goes back to Ganeidin. It was here. It deposited the Yiddish tribe that it did into the base Amitash, the center of the world, goes back to the world from which it came and it's trying to bask in the light of the mitzvahs of the Yiddish tribe that it did during its physical lifetime. The conductor, the carrier, what brings that light to the Neshama is the garments. It's our mitzvahs. If we don't have mitzvahs, we can sit in Ganeidin and be in complete darkness. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, the thing that Neshamas are always doing, no matter what, is studying Torah. But studying Torah is not the same thing as experiencing godliness. To experience godliness with the Torah, you, you need to have godliness. You have to earn that godliness. You earn that godliness by your trip to earth. When you return to Ganeitin, you don't get to keep it. You have to put it into the Beis HaMikdash. And that godliness is going to shine from that Beis HaMikdash to you. And what's going to affect that you receive it is the mitzvahs you perform. So the mitzvahs are garments that conduct the light. So in effect I'm saying three things. A, you can learn Torah. That's intellectual. Souls up there are pretty bright. They're studying Torah at a level we can't even imagine. But that's all it is. It's an intellectual study. B, the neshama comes into this world, earns for itself a certain measure, a certain degree of godliness through the Torah and mitzvahs that he did and deposits it into the Ganeidin of that world. The neshama is not in this center. The neshama is in the periphery. The light shines through the windows of that center to the Beis HaMikdash proper, to the neshama itself. What brings the light to the soul is the mitzvahs, the levushim of the person which brings that the person should experience the light of the angel. You're following? Now, in case that was a little bit complicated, I'm going to give you a simple example from Kabbalah. What I'm about to say is written in Kisya Okay, There were two Jews. One spent his life as a tzaddik and lost it at the very end. The other spent his life as a rasha and did true at the last moment. One's name was Elisha Benavuyim. Elisha Acher. One of the greatest rabbis, the teacher of Rabbi Meir. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. Uh, one thing was the Yechanan King Gadol. Yechanan the high priest. Yechanan the high priest went into the Holy of Holies 80 times. He reigned as the high priest for 80 years. At the time of the Second Temple, no priest lasted anywhere near that long. At the end of his life, he lost it completely, he became a heretic. A Jew by the name of Rabbi Lazar ben Dodaya, Lazar ben Dodaya, Raivet he's called, was a sinner whom the Gemara says never missed an opportunity to sin, didn't pass it up once, and died in the act of tshuva. Cry till he died. The Cry till he died. He did the highest possible tshuva. So he have a complete tzaddik who fell, and a complete rasha corrected himself. So it says in Kitzayis, huh? All of the mitzvahs of the tzaddik who later became a rasha were taken away from him he forfeited them 
all of the Avedis of this Rasha who did tshuva at the last moment of his life and the tshuva was so intense that he actually died in the act of doing tshuva his Avedis became mitzvahs, his Avedis became merits but this doesn't get that evil this Elizabeth and the this Rasha who did tshuva at the last moment of his life would have sat in Ganeden with an enormous amount of light but every Aveda's light once it becomes a mitzvah with an enormous amount of light and he would have been completely in the dark completely in the dark because he had no garments when you make an Aveda into a mitzvah you destroy it and all that you have is the light he had no garments he had no mitzvahs so they gave him the mitzvahs of Yechenikengor the tzaddik who became a rosh had all of these mitzvahs. They were taken from him because he forfeited them. The rosh who became a tzaddik had all this light, but he had no way to conduct the light. He had no levushim, he had no garments, so they gave him the mitzvahs of the Gadol, so he should have garments about to experience the light. So this enlightens the difference between mitzvahs and taita. Taita is called food. When you ingest it, you become one with it. Say that's called light. It warms you. According to the model that we're now discussing, according to the current model, what are we saying? We're saying that actually Yiddishkeit is the light of the Torah. Because the light of the Torah is muzzin, it's food, it's something that we ingest. The mitzvah simply acts as garments to conduct the light. So somebody can come along and make an argument, which would be quite credible, that says, in effect, Yiddishkeit is really about Torah. Yiddishkeit is really about the meaning behind the mitzvahs. And all the mitzvahs do is conduct light. Right? According to this initial model. According to this initial model, what are we saying? An Ishaming Ganeidin experiences light. The light that the Ishaming Ganeidin experiences has to do with the Torah that it studies. The Kavanasah mitzvahs that it has. And the performance of the mitzvah is simply a garment that can talk, conducts the light. So that puts tight on the pedestal above mitzvahs. Agreed? Agreed? Now, I'm going to change that in a moment. I'm going to give you what I told you before will be dimension two, a second plane. But before I get to dimension two, there's one other thing that I want to tell you. The Alter ever discusses the significance of learning Torah. And he says... And when a Jew studies Torah, Torah is like food. Torah is like food means a person takes it in. When a person eats food, they become one with the food, the food becomes one with that. Everybody understands that. When a Jew studies Torah, the godliness is being ingested. You're, di- you're, di- you're processing it. You're metabolizing it. We also discussed that after a person passes away and goes to Ganeiden, the primary experience that a neshama has on high is the experience of the Torah it's learning and not so much of the mitzvahs that it's doing. Correct? This is what we discussed so far. There's one more thing I want to say. And that is, Alter Rebbe says, I want you to contemplate what this means. Torah is like eating food. What happens when a person eats food? If they're only healthy and they have an ability to digest, they break down the food, they become the food and the food becomes them. In a healthy person, when a person breaks down food, what happens? The food changes irreparably 
the person changes it rapidly, they become the food, the food becomes them. Just think about this. When you're learning Teddy, you're eating Elakut, you're eating Eid Sof, you're eating godliness. Or to be more precise, you're eating him, eating Hashem himself. And you're digesting it, you're breaking it down. When you study Torah and you understand it intellectually, you and the Torah are becoming one, which means, in effect, you and Hashem are becoming one. Says the Alter Rebbe, think about how remarkable a union that is. Could you imagine being this one with Hashem? Could you imagine being this one with Hashem? You're becoming so one with Hashem that literally you've taken the Tate into yourself, you've become the Tate, and the Tate has become yourself. It's the kind of a unity that has no equal in anything else. When a Yid learns Tate, it becomes one with Hashem Manj. Okay, this is the end. This is the end of the first dimension. A Jew needs Judaism. Why does a Jew need Judaism? Because although the soul is godly, its godliness is concealed. When a Jew learns Tehidah and does mitzvahs, he's, quote, revealing Hashem to himself. However, mitzvahs are, quote, garments, only garments, and Tehidah is Hashem's light. Now I want to give you a second dimension. And the second dimension flips everything I just said on its head. However, this second dimension is not discussed here in Tanya, it's discussed later in the Tanya. Okay? So I'm going to share with you another dimension. And the other dimension is a very, very simple thing. What is the difference between studying Tehidah and doing mitzvahs? Simple. Studying Tehidah is intellectual. The brain. The brain is a spiritual thing. Mitzvahs we perform with our physical bodies and for the most part with physical things, with physical artifacts. Physical leather for film, Physical leather for mezuzah. Right? Physical food for chale, for truma, for maise, for shviyas, and so forth and so on. For the most part, we do mitzvahs with physical things. Tehidah is a spiritual thing. So Hasidus teaches us, although it doesn't teach it to us here, but it does teach it in other places in Tanya, that the difference between studying Tehidah and doing a mitzvah is that when you study Tehidah, you reveal the light of Hashem. When you perform a mitzvah, since you're using a physical thing, you're revealing the godliness of Hashem, which is found inside physical things. And from this point of view, the opposite is true. Mitzvahs turn out to be actually higher than the study of Torah. And I'm going to explain it to you very simply. I want to give you an insight, which is a very, very deep Hasidic insight. It's probably one of the most core insights in, in the Hasidic uh, form. There's an expression that we use all the time. Any person who's involved in, in, in Hasidic and Kabbalah uses this expression all the time. But of course, like everything else that we use, we don't pay attention. The expression is to reveal godliness. Revealing godliness. The idea of revealing godliness assumes something. It actually assumes two things. Revealing godliness assumes, number one, godliness is hidden and needs to be revealed. Godliness is hidden and needs to be changed to a state of revelation. And number two, there is a place to which the godliness must be revealed. There is a place, there is a level where the godliness is not and needs to be brought to. 
A metaphysical place, a conceptual place. On this basis, the notion of, quote, revealing God, revealing Godliness, has two basic levels. There's two concepts of revealing Godliness. The first concept of revealing Godliness would be, for example, like the sun. The sun produces light. The light travels 93 million miles from where the sun is situated in the sky to the earth. It hits our planet, provides us with light, with warmth, and with food. The sun does not only provide us with light and warmth, the sun actually feeds us, as everybody knows. So if we follow that model of revealing godliness, what's the concept of revealing godliness? God is in heaven. We are on earth. We're in the dark. We're in the cold. We're a place of death. And this needs to be altered. This needs to be changed. How? Shining light from heaven to earth. Bringing in the light from an alternative source into the otherwise ungodly world. This is a, this is a classic concept of the revelation of godliness. And any person who studied any Kabbalah is familiar with this model because it's a classic model. It's a simple model. The Bashante would ask you a dumb question. And of course, the dumbest questions are the most brilliant of all. The question that the Bashante would ask is a very simple thing. If this earth is cold, dark, and dead, and you make it alive and warm and fed, nourished, by importing goddess from heavens to the earth, can you please tell me how the earth exists until godliness reaches it. How the world, in its state of cold, dark, death, exists before the light of godliness has been brought here in the first place. And on this basis, the Bashemtev introduces us to a different concept of revealing godliness, which happens to be common sense. But common sense is most uncommon. What does the Bashemtev say? You don't have to bring godliness anywhere. Godliness is everywhere. You have to find the godliness that's already inherent. Everything you see is godly. The proof that it's godly is that it exists. If it did not have a divine spark, it would have no existence. So revelation of godliness doesn't have to mean shining light from heaven to earth, having an alternative source of light that's manifesting, it's coming down and warming up the world. But rather... Revelation of godliness means to expose the godliness within the earth. These two concepts are called in the fancy world of Hasidic intellectuals the light and the essence. Shining light from heaven to earth is called the light of godliness. Finding godliness within the world itself is called the essence of godliness. Etzem and Gilui. Atzmut and Giluyim. Those are the Hebrew words. There's a beautiful episode, a beautiful little story that very succinctly summarizes this entire uh, insight. One year after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, came to his son and successor, the middle Rebbe, and he asked him, Bedel Mitzvot to He asks his son, what did you pray with on the Shoshanah? And on Kippur, naturally a tzaddik of this magnitude prays with very deep meditations. What did you pray with? So his son tells him, I prayed with the meditation of the Chalkoim Lefanecha Sishtachadah. The Gule Ak 
that I'm makifim of ragli asiyah. What does that mean? Don't worry about it. It means he prayed with the meditation at this extremely elevated mystical level. Now, the middle level was no fool. And if his father asked him the question, he was going to return the favor. So he says to his father, the Alter Rebbe, Untate, what did you pray with? The Alter Rebbe said very, very plainly, with the piece of wood in front of him. What's the idea? The middle Rebbe was meditating on God in the heavens and the heavens of the heavens. The Alter Rebbe was meditating on the God in the piece of wood in front of him because that was also godly. The difference between these two notions is the light of God and the essence of God. Or what I like to call imports versus extraction. Importing God into the otherwise godly world versus identifying God within the natural world, within the world itself. This Ravoyta is a different dimension of Tayyid and Mitzvah. And on this dimension, everything is upside down. Mitzvahs become higher than Tayyid. Why? Because Mitzvahs are about physical things. And the notion of using a mitzvah to perform a physical thing means you're identifying God within the world. You're not bringing God into the world. You're identifying God within the world. As opposed to Teda, 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 Hashem's light. So on the first dimension, on the lower dimension, the key, the priority is the light of the Teda, which the Alkhreba calls food, and you become one with it, and it becomes one with you, and so forth and so on. And this is what Nisham is experiencing in Ghan If you would go to paradise, that's what you have. In Ghanaian, mitzvahs are simply conductors of light. They're secondary contributors to the experience of an Ishami in Ghanaian. A soul in paradise experiences the delight of godliness. And the delight that it's feeling is the Torah's light. The mitzvah simply is carrying it. But it's a different dimension. And the old dimensions is the other way around. Torah is, quote, only the light of Hashem. And mitzvahs are Hashem himself, the essence of the Abishad himself. Because mitzvahs use physical things. And demonstrate you don't have to bring God into the world, but rather you have to identify that God is in the world. God is the world. But this doesn't happen in paradise. This doesn't happen in Ghanadin. This happens in Chiyatanitim. In the era, of the era of the resurrection of the dead, that according to Kabbalah is the same thing as the world to come, Ulam Haba. Because then we'll be physical and live in the physical world and see godliness not of the Torah, where the mitzvahs simply are conductors of light. But we'll see the godliness of the physical mitzvahs that we perform. So what have we done so far? I'm going to summarize again. What have we done so far? The first thing that we talked about is the dependency of a Jew on Judaism. Why a Jew needs Tayyid and mitzvahs? Isn't a Jew already godly? And the answer is a Jew may be godly, but his godly identity is hidden. And the mitzvahs and the Torah that he does reveals Hashem to him. Based on those two phrases that I said of Gutsuvich Kulakad and Tfiso Mislabesh and the Tayyid Mitzvah, you have God, you're holding God in Tayyid and Mitzvah. And the second thing we talked about is the difference between Tayyid and Mitzvah. Tayyid is light, Tayyid is food, you internalize it. Mitzvahs are garments. So on dimension one, Mitzvahs are only your support. And the real issue is the light of the Torah. Correct? And on dimension two, it's the other way around. The mitzvahs become the key Indian, and the neshama becomes, the Torah becomes secondary to the mitzvahs. We followed? We understood? Yes? Let me just give you a different way of articulating this. In life as we know it, 
the soul is what matters. The body is a, a boiling bag of meat and bones, as one chassid described it. The body is a casing. It carries the soul. Life is in the soul. And we have to keep the body and the soul together so that the soul should keep the body alive. People eat food to keep the body healthy so the body can hold on to the soul. But life comes from the soul. God forbid the body is unhealthy and the soul departs. Once the soul is gone, you can't bring it back. But it's all about keeping the soul in the body because the soul gives life. So it says in Hasidus, this does not say in Kabbalah, this says in Hasidus, that this relationship between the soul and the body, where the soul is key and the body is secondary, is how it is now and how it is in Ganev. In Eulam Atriya, in the world of Chiyas HaMesim, the roles are reversed. The soul will be sustained by the body. The body will become the truth and the soul will be given life from the body. The body will become the essence of godliness and the Shama will get its life from the body. Or in other words, now, Torah is the life of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are secondary, Torah is primary. And mitzvahs become primary and Torah gets its life from mitzvahs. Okay, if you wish to ask questions or make comments, this is an appropriate time. The source of mitzvahs is not Torah. Source, the revelation of mitzvahs is through Torah. Mitzvahs come from Kesed, and Torah is Chochmah. No, no, no. But Pashtas trade is the wisdom of Hashem, which is a seal as itself. But I saw that Torah gives life to seals also. Fine. But on that basis, mitzvahs are even higher than Teda. Fine. So you're quoting Tanit Chav Gimel. Teda is Seyv of Kalamit, but it's the Chachmah Seyv of Kalamit. And mitzvahs is Ratzin Mamash. In every level, Teda is higher than mitzvahs. Right. That's right. It's a very interesting question, right? There's a concept of Tedasay and Nasay. A person who studies so much Tedasay doesn't need mitzvahs. Right? And then there's the idea that any mitzvah that you can only do for yourself, you have to be Mavatal Tedasay to perform that mitzvah. Because unless you're on this level where you study Tedasay day and night, mitzvahs take precedence over Tedasay. It's, it's true. And this is, these are discussions that are found in halacha, in Jewish law. But they're mirrored in Kabbalah. So the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, Tamatedik and Eged Kulum is mayhem in the time of the Shas, and it's no longer true. Now the Ikid is stuck. He says what to this? It's in the time of the Shas. He gets the Kedushim and tests. Look it up in the letters. But now the Ikid is Maisan Mitzvah. No question about it. Okay, I don't know. We're not doing history. I don't know. I don't know. Now, there's one more piece to this puzzle. Yes, sir. You said that uh, the Neshama comes down to this world and the godliness is concealed. In order to reveal the godliness, you have to the When you say reveal the godliness, 
Are you talking about the Gilded Gallus within yourself? The Gilded Gallus preparing mitzvahs. When doing the mitzvah, you review the Gallus for an object. When you do the mitzvah, do you review the Gallus within yourself? And review the Gallus, and obviously within the concept of creation. But my question to you is. I, I understand. I understand your question. Which inside of you? I understand your question. So where are you? Yeah, okay. The answer is on the first level. You reveal the godliness of Torah and mitzvahs, not of yourself. Mm-hmm. As a result of revealing the godliness of Torah and mitzvahs, you reveal the godliness of your soul. Okay. Now, Rabbi Sai, we're we're onto the last piece of tonight's class, and it, it, he's asked the perfect question, the perfect preemption. According to everything that we learned tonight, the point of everything that we discussed tonight is that a Jew needs Judaism. A Yid needs Yiddishkeit. Why does a Yid need Yiddishkeit? A Yid is godliness. Godliness should be self-sufficient. And the answer is because the godliness within the Jew is concealed. The godliness within Judaism is revealed. And therefore a Jew needs Judaism to have a connection to Hashem. This is based on the statement of the Zoya that I mentioned before, that there are class Kishri and there are three things that are knotted together. A Jew is connected to Judaism, and Judaism is connected to Hashem. When a Jew studies Torah and does mitzvahs, the Yiddishkeit brings him closer to God. We need Yiddishkeit. Because without Yiddishkeit, our identity as Jews is concealed. Yiddishkeit reveals to us that we're Jewish. So Rabbeinu Meir over here, and the word mayor means to illuminate, is being a mayor, illuminating, that when you say, that when a Jew does Judaism, he's revealing godliness to himself, there's two dimensions. The lower dimension is, that Yiddishkeit is godliness. Tayyid is godly, mitzvahs are godly. And when I study Tayyid, and I do a mitzvah, I'm revealing Hashem to me. The second dimension is, so when I study Torah and I do mitzvahs, I discover my own identity as a Jew. A Yid learns Torah, does mitzvahs. The Torah and mitzvahs that we do reveal Hashem to us, but eventually they not only reveal Hashem to us, they reveal us to ourselves. A Jew discovers what it means a Jewish soul. A Jew discovers what it means that there's a part of God within him through Yiddishkeit. And this is the second dimension. The first dimension again is that when I study Tayyid and do mitzvahs, the Tayyid and mitzvahs reveal godliness to me. The second dimension is that as a result of the Tayyid and mitzvahs that I do, I discover my own identity as a Jew. I discover my own godliness. But there's a third dimension. This third dimension is the most interesting one of all. This is how I'm finishing tonight's class. And I want to again underscore that the information I'm imparting now is not in the tiny of this week, but it's relevant to the discussion, so I'm packing it all together. The Zaya says, there are three knots that are bound to one another. What are the three knots? The connection between a Yid and Yiddishkeit, and the connection between Yiddishkeit and Hashem. How many knots is that? That's two. Where's the third knot? So Hasidus explains that the third knot is the connection between a Yid and Hashem. It's not a chain. It's like the recycling symbol. 
the circle. That a Jew is connected to the Torah, the Yiddishkeit. The second knot of the Yiddishkeit is connected to the Abishta. The third knot is that there's a direct connection between the Jew and God. What do we know about the Jewish people? They're called Hashem's children. What do we know about children? They're exactly like their parents. That the essence of the parents was in them. And they could live a life which is completely inconsistent with their parents. Because they have free will. Children are the essence of their parents on the one hand. And children are totally separate from their parents on the other. And the two things are interconnected. Because what is the essence that the parent has that he gives his child? His independence. The same is true when we say he is Hashem's child. Saying that a Jew is Hashem's child means that within a Jew you have a piece of Hashem mamish. But saying that a Jew is a child of Hashem, on the other hand, is saying that although we come from God, we're our, we're our own beings. And we have the option of living lives that are completely inconsistent with the will of God, A. And B, even if we choose to live a life according to the wishes of God, we're choosing it. A free will. And therefore, since as Hashem's children we were created to be separate from Him, we need Yiddishkeit. A Jew needs Judaism. Why does a Jew need Judaism? Because Judaism reveals his connection to Hashem. But you see, there's a second step. What's the second step? Mm -hmm. By the virtue of the fact that the Jew practices Judaism, and Judaism connects the Jew to Hashem, it does something else. What else does it do? It allows the Jew to discover the godliness within him. That he's a child of God. The godliness within the Jew is actually deeper than the godliness within Judaism. A Yid uses Judaism, uses Yiddishkeit. Why does he use Yiddishkeit? Because he doesn't know he's godly. Yiddishkeit is godliness. Titan and mitzvahs are godliness. When I study Titan, I do a mitzvah, I'm revealing Hashem to myself. But in addition to revealing Hashem to myself, I'm discovering myself. And what I'm discovering about me is more than Judaism. The godly soul of a Jew, which makes him a child of Hashem, is a deeper connection than the reason Tayyid and Mitzvah. And therefore, the Hasidah says there's a third dimension. The third dimension is that a Jew practices Mitzvah and studies Torah not to connect himself to Hashem, but to connect the Torah to Hashem. On the first dimension, the first dimension is that through Yiddishkeit, a Jew has a connection to Hashem. The second dimension is that through Yiddishkeit, a Yid discovers his own identity. The third dimension is that the identity of the Jew, which is deeper than Tayyid and Mitzvah, does Tayyid and Mitzvah a favor. And it connects Yiddishkeit to Hashem. Because Tayyid is, after all, only Hashem's light. A Jew is Hashem's child. That means that a Jew has the essence of Hashem Mamish inside of himself. And there is a concept of a Jew making Yiddishkeit higher. A Torah and Mitzvah need a Yid to do Torah and Mitzvah, not for the Jew's sake, but for Torah and Mitzvah's sake. When a Yid studies Torah and practices Mitzvah, he's investing into Torah, which is Hashem's light, the essence of the Torah, which is the idea of a Yid. So in the beginning, a Yid needs Yiddishkeit. In the middle, through Yiddishkeit, a Yid finds himself. And in the end... The, it's actually the Yid doing a favor to Yiddishkeit rather than the other way around. 
and the place where this is manifest is in those aspects that are Judaism of Judaism that are rabbinic Tayyid is God's gift to us right? Hashem gave us the Tayyid gave us the Mitzvah but over the course of history many ideas were added to Yiddishkeit from the Jewish people laws customs and Mitzvah which Mitzvah? Chanukah, Purim, Adir Ahad, full of others. According to Hasidus, the mitzvahs that are rabbinic are deeper and higher than the mitzvahs that are biblical. Chanukah and Purim are greater Yom Tayyib than the Pesach Shulis and Sufis. And this is actually corroborated by Chazal who say that there's a point in the future when mitzvahs are no longer. I'm sorry, when Yom Tayyib are no longer, the holidays are no longer. Except for Chanukah and Purim. Why? Chanukah and Purim are not Judaism's mitzvahs, they're the Jews' mitzvahs. And what's the difference? Hanukkah and Purim celebrates the highest level of Mesidus Nevesh. The highest level of self-sacrifice, which is completely beyond comprehension. That dimension of connection to God, which is completely super-rational, is not part of Yiddishkeit. It comes from Yidin. And Yidin added to Tayyidin mitzvahs. So it goes full circle. First, we do Tayyid and Mitzvahs, do ourselves a favor. This the Yalta Rebbe calls the Shema. What does it mean to learn Tayyid just for the sake of Yiddishkeit to connect me to Hashem? The second dimension that through Yiddishkeit I discover my own Jew. And the third dimension that through a Jew, Judaism becomes attached to Yiddishkeit. A Yid connects Yiddishkeit to Hashem. And therefore, we have a new translation of the word Lashma. What does it mean to learn Tayyid or Lashma? What does it mean to do mitzvahs lishma? For the sake of Tayyidah. For the sake of mitzvahs. I am learning Tayyidah and doing the Tayyidah favor. I am performing mitzvahs and doing mitzvahs a favor. Because through my learning and through my mitzvahs, I'm connecting the Tayyidah, which is, quote, only Hashem's light, to Hashem Himself. So at the beginning, a Yid needs Yiddishkeit. And ultimately, the roles are reversed. Yiddishkeit needs a Yid. So this is, this is the, essentially the class for tonight. I'll just give you a quick summary and then I'll let you ask your final questions. The beginning of the class talked about the need for a Jew to do Judaism because it reveals Hashem to him because in Yiddishkeit Hashem is revealed and um, then we talked about the difference between Mitzvah and Torah and we had two dimensions and the lower dimension Torah is primary Mitzvah is secondary and the higher dimension it's the other way around. And finally, we concluded the class by saying that right now we need Yiddishkeit. And ultimately, Yiddishkeit needs a Yid. Go ahead. Why is it that a lot Russia that a virus separate a Jew from from Hashem? If if connection between Jew and Hashem is higher than between Yiddishkeit and, and, uh, and Hashem. So, um, if, even if Jew pairs with Yiddishkeit, how it can affect connection between Jew and Hashem? Let me ask you a better question. Why does a Yid need Yiddishkeit in the first place if his connection to Hashem is deep? Yeah. What's yeah. the answer? Elokus yeah. in a Yid is concealed. In Tehidimitis is revealed. That's why Yid needs Yiddishkeit. Now wait. Elokus in the Yid is concealed and he therefore needs Yiddishkeit. But, but the Yid is a teva. The yid is a nature. 
within the nature of a Jew, there's an etiyah, there's a tendency to doing Tzedah Mitzvahs, which is ruined by Avedas. In other words, the very fact that your neshama is in this world means that the neshama is concealed. But Avedas adds a double dimension of concealment. And therefore, in order to have a connection to Hashem, to Tzedah Mitzvahs, a person who's done Avedas has to first do children. It's still like connection. Is it? 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 So, this, uh, his connection to Hashem is still higher. So, something lower cannot affect the Let me ask you a question. Imagine a big Gorn, a big Talmud Chachel, who had a son who was a Rosh. This Talmud Chachel wrote many Sfarim of Torah. Who's more connected to the Talmud Chachel? His Sfarim of Torah or his rebellious child? Child. The truth is that a child can't be separated from his parents because they're one. But it certainly doesn't look that way. Maybe if the child will read some of the Sfarim that the father wrote, he'll reveal that he's his father's son. But in the meantime, the child and the father are completely estranged. Eventually, this child will read what his father wrote. And not only will he become like his father, he'll actually enhance his father's writings. But without his father's writings, all of that is hidden. Beautiful, Masha. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Midas?